0: Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Searching for Political Identity. It is Brian Eskow here, your host, and we're just going to basically let part two of the conversation I had last week with Josh Lewis play out. If you'll notice, part one I broke out into his explanation of conservatism and what it means as a political philosophy. But what I discovered in that conversation is that there is this underlayment and it's pretty obvious for those of us who think critically about this stuff, of religion. You know, conservatism and religion are certainly intertwined. So we delved deeper into the religious part of the conversation in, in this part. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and thank you so much for listening. Okay, so we're back. And you were saying in today's world, we're go on.
1: Well, this is a big topic, and this is part of the, I think, heart of conservatism is the recognition that we can't solve our economic problem. We can't solve our inequality problems. We can't solve all of the ills of society we're trying to through political means if we have a broken soul. Mm -hmm. And we have a broken soul. There's a lot, you know, just something, just a single data point, the rise of deaths due to overdose of drugs.
0: You know, that is a very powerful Way to summarize conservatism. The mm-hmm. idea that, and that is it, that progressives paper over the fact that there's a whole lot more to life than politics and political institutions. Well, and, and I
1: think, right? yes, conservatism as I'm defining it does not. However, it must be said, and this is part of what you were talking earlier about my angst with the Republican Party, a lot on the right do the exact same freaking thing. There's a lot of people, and I think you see this, that as you begin to lose sound, healthy communities, institutions, and a sense of purpose, you start to look for them in really dumb places. And politics is about one of the dumbest and most, it's certainly unhealthy, but at large scales, it can be very dangerous when that's where you rest, that's where you center your identity. That's when we see the rise of the demagogue, the authoritarian. That's when we see mass discontent and violence. And I fortunately, I think we're just on the front end of that. And there's plenty of time to change course. But mm-hmm. I think that's what we're beginning to see on both the left and the right.
0: And what do you think the cause of all this rancor is? You know, if Trump is not the cause, if he's the symptom, what do you think fueling is? is it's religious, isn't it? It's, it's the soul, right? That's what you're getting at, right? It's the moral. It's Satan. People make a post satanism they laugh at you if you bring it up but and i know that a lot of people in the lgbtq community look at uh, satanism as a you know slap in the face of christianity but also as hey hey if i call it satanism and it has 10 ethical principles great but is the divide in our country and i'm going to go on a tangent about trans people because it's an important (laughs) issue to me because i care Mm -hmm. about them and and it's, it's a flashpoint people will say that trans people Are like satanic? That's not fair, right? We know that, right? So trans people are real. I I take that as a true. I've spoken to enough of them. I we have to embrace them. But how are we losing our morals then? If a homosexual is a homosexual, what are you going to do? Like they're gay. Like they're they're born that way. Like how can unless you really don't believe that? Is that where the divide is? Well,
1: there are certainly. I think the LGBTQ matter, it'd probably be fair to say is either that or abortion. And Mm -hmm. I think abortion has taken more of a front row seat due to the recent rulings and the Dodds decision.
0: Right. For now. Um,
1: Either of those two can, can change places as sort of the tip of the spear of the culture war. Sure.
0: Um,
1: And so I, I both do and don't want to. um, Trying to think how to phrase this. I, I want to dig into it because it's important and because it touches people's lives. I also want to be careful that I'm not equally guilty of trying to make that the focal point. Um, I think that I consider myself to be an evangelical Christian, mm-hmm. uh, broadly speaking. I really think that even if we're talking, I knew there about,
0: was something about you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Let's let's just focus kidding. just for a moment on the LGBTQ uh, issue and and I'll. I'll, I'll issue a disclaimer out front. I am no authority on this, so I'm going to just give very high-level comments. I think, by and large, the evangelical church screwed up in the uh, 70s, 80s, 90s and their heavy hand approach toward homosexuals at that at that time, predominantly homosexuals. And I think what I'm not going to pretend that I have like a 12-point plan to. Here is how we heal that divide. Here is what the church say could say to the uh, to those who have been hurt by the church. But I will just say that I understand if someone is trans, if someone is uh, a gay or lesbian, why they would be leery of the church. However, what I was saying earlier is I don't think this is just about LGBTQ. I think, honestly, Brian, I think it's about you and I. I think it's the entire generation. in generation. Well, atheism, but, but even nominal Christianity within the United States, even the, even those who are saying non-religious and just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. I think there is much damage in the church. And I think there is, um, I think those who would look to the church and say, I want nothing to do with that have cause to say that. I don't think it's right. I am a Christian myself, but I understand that mindset. And so this mm-hmm. is not a message of trying to Say what would save the United States is if we could just thump everybody over the head with the Bible and they got in line. I think right. first and foremost the church needs to take a hard look at itself. Why have so many people expressed and testified to abuse, uh, whether direct or indirect? Uh, that's real. Maybe some of it's maybe some of it's made up. Maybe some of it's overblown. But I think there can be no uh, denying the fact that it is
0: widespread. And it does exist. Mm-hmm. This is why, Eric. Democrats and particularly people on Twitter and Progress, they're like, "How could you be searching for political identity in this time where it's like you either support these people or you don't?" I sh- I think what we're getting at—correct me if I'm wrong—is that it's not a question because good people like yourself and you know—and this is what I believe—ninety-nine percent of people or ninety percent, they're going to say, "Hey, it might not be my belief, it might not be my system, but you do you as long as I can do me." That's pretty, you know, that sounds like an American value. And the question is then, where do you draw the lines? And as you say, tip of this culture war, abortion and LGBTQ acceptance in general, it's the question of, must I bake that cake? Must I marry them? Abortion, the whole, it's, 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 it's rather controversial. Now, there's are strong. Look, the arguments, the bodily autonomy argument is compelling, but the conservative argument is very compelling, which is, this has been our way, our, our bedrock, our, that they go deeper than Country and nation and politics and law to the very core of our civilization and to undermine it in this new way. I think the progressives need to understand that conservatives are thinking these lines. It's very important where you draw the lines, right?
1: Yeah, and and, and so in and what you just said there, everything you're saying. There's a lot to it. <laughs> so if I might pick a part, a piece or two, um, I myself, as I've been in this conversation, try to try to identify where the lines occasionally exist between legal questions and political policy questions and then this broader notion of the soul. Um, because I don't, I'm not a Christian nationalist, say, uh, by, by which I mean I'm not one who believes we solve these problems by electing the right people um, to enforce the right laws, to enforce good behavior. Maybe one could argue at the margins you can get people to behave in some facets, better, but I think again, going back to trade-offs, I think what history has shown us is that, by and large, what almost always happens is whoever's in power enforces the role until the next guy's in power, and then they enforce a completely different role. <laughs> and mm-hmm. eventually, you get. And that that was part of the whole purpose of our system in the first place was, hey, let's not do what Europe's done for the past, you know, multiple centuries. All that mm-hmm. being said, I think we are. I think what you said is absolutely right. This is what the conservatives are concerned about, is it's not just a question of, do I have to bake a cake for someone? Because it's not just a question of, hey, you do you and I'll do me and we'll be fine. Not because I think we need the government changing anyone, but I think there needs to be a very sobering recognition or at least conversation around the fact that you cannot have liberty without virtue. And you don't get virtue unless people are plugged into functional, healthy communities and institutions. Our communities and institutions are not healthy. And, and I,
0: that's a problem. That is and a brilliant addressed. way. And I completely mean this as a compliment, 100%. That is a brilliant way to say we need God back in our lives. Mm-hmm. So the audience is going to have to decide. Yeah, no, that's, that's extremely good. Who wouldn't agree with that? Yeah, that's powerful.
1: Oh, I'm, wow. I, there's some who don't, <laughs> but but I think oh, that is the message. I I, yeah, yeah, that, that is the message I do have to but share. But what do you I, say to
0: someone who says, "But you can't be a Christo fashion"? Okay, you know what? We're getting right to the heart of it, Josh. We could sure. write a book about this. Is the meat of it right here, which is, as I said, where do the lines get drawn between the religious and the non-religious? And that's the, what are those two cultural war spearheads, Debencomb, in the religious base? So every, it's mm-hmm. all religious. It's a religious versus the freedom, and so the freedom. I guess the conservative religious person would say, to be honest with you, no disrespect to trans and gay people, but American freedom has been weaponized into a tool against the, against religion. They'd probably make that claim. But the, I guess the bottom line is that the American legal system is, by definition, a place where, intellectually, you could see clearly how we have to allow Satanism to have its place. So that's why yeah. you say we have to have virtue over liberty.
1: I, I mean, the... Few of the founding fathers, I think, understood this better than John Adams. Who, And I'm not going to, I'm probably going to butcher this quote. Just don't don't quote me as this being direct. Uh, but he's the one who very famously talked about our Constitution was meant for a moral and religious people that it is wholly inadequate for any other. Mm-hmm. And this is something that Edmund Burke, going back to him, understood very well, that it really doesn't, at, at root, it really does not matter what your legal framework is. If the people are disorderly and unlawful, you just have a disorderly and unlaw- an unlawful system.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think the beauty of American liberty, you are absolutely right, is that it protects Josh the Evangelical just as much as it does, you know, uh, Bob the Satanist. Right. Uh, the problem, what I'm saying is, you can only go so far... and and I don't want to make this sound like you only get so many Satanists in a a nation before you tip the scale, because I don't think Satanists make up a large percent of the nation. (laughs) But Uh what I mean is you can only go so far in which you don't have individuals actively working on regulating their own impulses. And there are few things in life as good as religion, sound religion Mm -hmm. that does that for us. Mm -hmm. You can only go so far without enough people doing that to where our particular system of government and the liberty we enjoy is no longer functional.
0: Yes, it's not just Satanism per se, but it's potentially also the lack of religion, or if you even, as you just alluded to, um, you don't necessarily need religion. How about a healthy diet and exercise and meditation routine to start at least? And I'm guilty of. I mean, I have terrible impulse control. I mean, I'm just gonna be honest. Like, I, <laughs> I do too. I, by I, I the can't way. <laughs> pre. I like. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I've got it all together. But I can attest from personal knowledge, actually, that several people in this country don't have their shit together. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, <laughs> me being the first, you know what I'm saying. So, yeah, so many people like me, technology. So it's not just Satanism. Peace, but maybe that represents a, a whole well, it doesn't represent there's the Satanism peace, and then there's this whole, I guess, lack of motivation, lack of clarity, bad habits, bad, just junked up, junk food, no sleep, not taking care of ourselves spiritually. Mm-hmm. Stuff like and, that, I guess. And I am glad
1: that you mentioned that, that it's not just Christianity. Again, I'm a professing Christian. I my desires that all would come to Christ. Right. But if we're just talking about the lens of how do we keep the United States functional, you know, if mm-hmm. we set that aside for a moment yeah. We just talk about this. There are a number of very healthy outlets. Uh, one I point to often is stoicism. Um, you know, this is one that the Greeks and the Romans employed uh, in, in the pursuit of a virtuous life, apart from, say, the worship of the gods. I think a person who genuinely gives themselves to stoicism as a very noble cause, and I think that they can become a very fundamental building block of a free society that we enjoy. The -hmm. problem is it's hard to convince the masses to turn to stoicism and maybe Islam or Judaism uh, or any number of religions could infuse us with these virtues we need. But, and it's what we're talking about a little bit earlier. The other problem is you can't just turn masses over to these say good programs and say, you know, good luck with this. You have to have roots. And in our particular country, in our culture, it is the Judeo-Christian heritage. that if we're ever going to see this sort of <laughs> resurrected, if you'll pardon the pun, um, it's probably going to have to come through that great awakening in a sense.
0: So is it fair to say that you're a guy who would like to see America be healthier, you know, the population be healthier and happier and less dependent on government? is that is that I,
1: I mean i i suspect um other than yeah. that last bit about less well, dependent on government i think everyone forget that yeah right well
0: all right so you would like people to come to christ so big big picture for you personally that is what it's all what it's about but you're very extraordinarily beautifully respectful of the premise of other people's perspective so mm. thank you for that so thank you for everything can i ask you about religion sure so you really believe that there's hell, huh? And heaven. I just, I'm sure, very no, interested I, in religion too. And I can cut it if you want. Is that, is that? No, is I am not that, that.
1: Well, l- let me, uh, i tell you what, before I respond to that, let, let me just ask you. You're, um, I, I'm very limited on my knowledge. Very of reformed Jewish. You're very, pro- okay, fair yeah, enough. And, very, and I must confess. I'm agnostic. That,
0: I call myself really an agnostic, but I pray. I when my dad got very sick, I'll tell you, very recently when my dad got sick and he was a, man, he was as good as gone. Believe me. I prayed as I often do. I think I actually, see, as a Jew, it's hard, right? Being an American Jew, like Jesus, God, it's one entity. Who are we talking about? So look, I was raised a Jew, I'm Jewish. And I said to whoever that higher power is, if you save my, if you, if my dad lives, you know, I will be your servant. I fucking said, excuse my language. I would say before that experience, I was an agnostic. And now I'm like, if I'm, I I don't want to, I can't renege on my deal. So, but I don't want to just go from falsely saying, Oh, I mean, I believe in God, you know, I can't do that falsely. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested in this subject. I pray. Yeah. No, but, I, but I, but I doubt, but I doubt more than anyone. <laughs> I doubt more than anyone. Well, and,
1: and, and just as an aside here, before I respond to, and I'm going to respond to your question, but within Christendom, there's nothing wrong with doubt. I doubt all the time. The sin is unbelief and, and, th- and those can be distinguished that I don't think I believe that there are certain professing Christians who don't have a doubt in their mind and God bless them. I've never been that person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I've never. I can never get to the point where I am without a shadow of a doubt convinced of something. I, I think it's just my personality it's the way my brain works. But fortunately I don't think that's what Christ calls you to is unwavering lack of doubt. Sure. Um, that being said, let me set that aside for a moment. You you asked the uh, very good question about heaven and hell. Uh, The short answer is yes, I believe in a literal heaven and hell. Uh, But then that goes on to the next question, which is, what is heaven and hell? (laughs) What, What is it? Because the depiction we get from scripture, at least from the New Testament, is that a very literal translation is that hell, of course, is the place where those who have not accepted Christ are tormented and burned for all of eternity. Whereas heaven is a place of of great beauty um, and great peace in which we are in the presence of God and worship him for all eternity. And I I think that these descriptions are, in my personal opinion, and I'm not a theologian, so so I can take that uh, that for what it is. I think that these descriptions are useful in conveying Mm -hmm. severity, but not necessarily in conveying literally what we're talking about. Hmm. And one, if anybody in the audience or you yourself are interested, the best source I could, off the top of my head I can think of is, um, are you familiar with the author C.S. Lewis? Heard of him. Heard of him, okay. He wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And in the opening to the book, he literally says, look, I am not trying to say this is what the afterlife, this is not what the afterlife, (laughs) Afterlife. I am not trying to say this is what the afterlife, there we go is. I'm simply using this allegory to try to convey a moral. And in that book, he describes hell as a place that the gates are locked from the inside. In other words, it's an interesting story. I don't want to give too much away, but I'll just say this. It's about a group of people in hell who get to visit heaven. And one by one, they all choose to go back. Hmm. And in effect, what Lewis was saying was, let's strip away the idea of the, the hellfire and brimstone. What we were talking about is what happens to the human soul through eternity if they are severed from their creator or if they're in his presence. And that's it. Mm. That is either heaven or hell.
0: Wow. And
1: it is no less severe than burning forever in torment, mm. even if there is no fire.
0: It's just the pure absence or the pure being?
1: Yes. And so that is what, in effect, wow. I think Christianity calls us to is that wow. walk with God wow. to stand in his presence because of our justification through Christ. So it's not a act of a good God who suddenly says, "Well, because you lied a couple of times in your life, I'm going to torment you for the rest of eternity." <laughs> um rather it's it's, it's, it's the goodbye. severity of right. It's we are created to be in his presence mm. and eternal if we lacking fell out, right. Wow. Right. So that's again, so awesome. I'm not a theologian, that's just how i and, and, able and to the Buddhist I
0: guess at. or or the Hindu rather would say that the your soul kind of recycles until you you achieve, I think they call it moksha, and then you kind of release into the bigger soul. The, the, mm-hmm. And and so you I guess the Christian view is the bigger soul is, I guess, you would call like the Father, or the Holy Spirit, or I don't know how you would call it, God. And that ma- master soul kind of, that we're supposed to be with? In effect, yes. And, and as I'm sure
1: you're, if not intimately aware, or at least could understand, um, we could get three different Christians on this conversation and we would all have three different, uh, similar but slightly different interpretations. <laughs> but only
0: yours is right.
1: Well, I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> does that mean that in the way you view the world and people that share your worldview, we did go to the moon, space is real, like you, there's no firmament, but God is also real or does science conflict? You know, you don't believe Satanists put dinosaur bones, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm yeah. serious. Like I, I'm no, not that's, trying to make that's fun an excellent of question.
1: No, no. I mean, these are all great questions because I think I think these are usually questions that people think but never right either get answers to or never dare to ask. Because yeah. <laughs>
0: usually, well, what do the people think? that
1: answer them are the dumbest um, representatives of a of a faith right. or of a local tradition. Um, but if uh, because
0: if someone like you, who clearly is worth respecting, could have that view, maybe Lauren Boebert's right. The, the difference is, I guess, you don't think it should be foisted on people by. Elected officials, but essentially, <laughs> I guess the conservatives can't view Biden as a good man because he's a uh, pro-choice.
1: Well, in a, in a, I think it's more complex than that, but certainly it's I, I think a deeper understanding of Christ would lead us to affirm both life of the unborn and the mother, and so I don't I don't try to draw just a, a sharp edge between right the approach the, I, I tell you what. But so the law we don't has get off change on a, uh, from the religious yeah, view, yeah, sure. And so, so that I don't get off on a completely different tangent, because that's an excellent question, but a different conversation entirely. Perhaps um, I, I will respond to the other, um, yeah, and maybe, please. maybe to put a finer point on it, because I think one of the sharpest areas in which this the conflict between, say, religion and science, or Christianity and science, isn't the theory of evolution, right, or the origin of the species, or how do we all get right. there? Um, because it certainly does look as if, or, uh, I think, we can safely say the scientific community. Shares a story that a—I don't know if it'd be fair to say predominant or majority, but I'll just say a large enough percentage of evangelical Christians um, would say is not true.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not all evangelical Christians do, though, and, and I am actually one in that camp. Now, let me be very clear here. I, my understanding of Christianity is that you don't have to have an accurate view of the cosmos um, to be saved. Mm. <laughs> so, I'm not trying to say that this That's is a disclaimer. The, Right, that this is the <laughs> equivalent of say Christianity. This is just my opinion,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is that if you, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't want to get too far off here, but there right? yeah, is right? Yeah, there's hard. a book by a gentleman who I don't remember his name offhand. It's called Genesis Unbound, and it comes the closest to my own personal views, which is that the first two books of Genesis were not talking about God creating the Earth in a span of six days. Now it does, it does share the message that God created the earth in the, at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, for which we are to understand not this spinning blue and green thing and the thing we see up there in the sky, mm-hmm. but rather Moses writing this to uh, the Jewish people probably didn't have a strong concept of a spinning globe in space, but they understood this to mean existence. God creates everything. And I do think that is a deeply held Christian view that you have to have. There is a God and he created us. He created matter. He created everything. The further text, again, in my view, goes on to talk about God's preparation of the land of Israel for his chosen people. That's an extremely complex argument, and I would simply say, check out the book Genesis Unbound if you want more. But where I would go with that is I think that frees us to see, ah, scripture is valid. Scripture is true. But scripture is not directly contradicting what we understand science to be telling us.
0: Hmm. You're saying that scripture is not literal. It's something different. Well, I, I would say,
1: I think we ought to treat scripture the same way we treat everything else we read, which is that we understand via context what's literal and what's not. Now, I'll be the first to admit there are plenty of parts of scripture in which it's hard to know. There are others in which it's not so hard to know. For example, in the Psalms, I think there's a lot of places where everybody would agree okay, David's not talking about trees clapping their hands. He's using that metaphorically. Uh, there are other aspects in which, you know, if we're talking about um, the records from 1st uh, and 2nd Kings, say, where it's like it, it, evidently somebody was trying to record these details. So I want to be careful in that I know there's this raging debate. The fundamentalist says we take scripture literally. The mainstream Christian often says, no, 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 no. It's all, it's all poetic. It's all just suggestive. I'm not necessarily trying to split the baby, but I am trying to say, I don't think either view is correct. I think Mm -hmm. scripture is God breathed. I think it's the word of God. But I Mm -hmm. also think that it is incumbent upon us to understand what does the text actually say? And if it Mm -hmm if my very limited 21st century mel Caucasian evangelical upbringing view... Wait a minute, I thought you were black. No, No, but if if my view being... uh, Okay, when I read Genesis chapter 1, clearly he's talking about the spinning blue and green thing in space. Maybe the problem isn't with scripture, but it's with my limited contextual background and and understanding what this
0: is actually saying. That sounds wise. Burning bush, my people... Abraham or was that Moses sorry that was Moses excuse me Moses i mean led a voice to Abraham and then Moses with the burning bush do you believe that happened you know and i'm not i, I don't ask that for the gotcha yeah guy. no no i ask it's, it's it for like, you know what i mean
1: well like, let, let me put it this way i think i
0: good not necessarily biblical... true
1: like true true but, so good biblical scholars of which i am not um disagree Uh, about some of these finer points. So let me just say that my my own view is this. I think a clear understanding of Scripture is such that you can't get away from the fact that there are supernatural events. Mm -hmm. Um, Christ rising from the dead, and I would say from, say, the Old Testament perspective, um, the rescue of uh, the nation of Israel uh, with the party of the Red Sea. I think the way in which they're presented in text is that this is God's salvation act to his people. I don't think those are metaphors. I don't think they're just meant to convey a moral message. In fact, the apostle Paul literally said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then we Christians of all people would be the most miserable. There would be no point to this faith. And so I don't think you ever get away from the fact that, yes, the Bible has miraculous events that don't set well with some people. (laughs) And if you have a particularly materialist view, you would have to wrestle with that to truly accept scripture. All that being said, I also don't think that we are imprisoned with saying everything that on its surface appears to be miraculous within the text. We have to hold to that. And if we don't, we're somehow causing the, call, calling God a liar. I, I think we can still right. employ judgment to try to determine what is the author trying to convey here, um, and, and is this intended to be miraculous or not? Mm.
0: Mm. Two Two remaining questions for you. Thank you so much for being generous with your time. Sure. Let me ask you to restrain yourself to a minute on this one. Um, and no, I say that because good call. it's a good challenge. No, because it's a good challenge for the question. If I don't lose it, and that was going to be shit. Oh, yeah. I really know nothing about the Jesus resurrection story. Hardly anything about Christianity. But something I saw some show the other day that made me think, could it have been possible that like, I don't know if he was buried or what, but is it possible that he? he survived his punishments and just wasn't dead or sometimes you hear about people not being totally dead was he like buried? you know what i mean just mm-hmm. curious is it possible that you know he didn't die or something or that he came back in a way that maybe sometimes people do like come back when they're not totally dead i don't know like he sure is I, that, I mean, is that-, that- is uh, that, it possible? Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I now I'm not enough about the you know I, I again not a scholar so maybe there's some reasons why it's not possible but from my limited perspective sure if that could happen. I would just say as a it, it, trying to keep it to a minute, yeah. I think the best evidence for and we're not talking about proof. We're not talking about this absolutely happened. And we can all believe it 100. But the best evidence for the resurrection of Christ is the otherwise inexplicable overnight existence of the church and why so many individuals were willing to hmm. willingly be martyred for something that they all would have known was a lie.
0: Hmm. That's fascinating. That's great. Thank you so much. That that gives me something to really focus on and keep in my brain as I research that more. That's really good. Hmm. Last question I have for you is aliens. <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> because Because I guess There are those, call them kooks, but they say one possibility to explain the human race is that we're a hybrid species, and that maybe there's God force is actually a higher power of that nature. Any credence to that? UFOs, UAPs, any thoughts on that subject matter?
1: So the the scientist Carl Sagan, if you might remember him, (laughs) Made this statement once when we were, I think, uh I was it SETI? or I can't remember what the, what the organization is. It's always trying to communicate with outer space. Yeah, I think so, yeah. He was talking about how exciting this was and how important the work was. And he was asked, well, why? And he says, well, because when we finally, when we discover who they are, we will finally know who we are. Hmm. And someone pointed out the absurdity of the statement is, what if the first message we encounter is an alien, advanced alien race saying, when we discover who they are, we will finally know who we are. Hmm. <laughs> and, right. and, it, and it kind of is this reduction ad wow. absurdum, which is, huh. I guess, it's possible we came from aliens, but that doesn't that doesn't ever answer the question at root, which is where did this all come from?
0: Mm. And, and
1: I, that is that's, ultimately that's a good. it at base is either a material or a non material response. I, as a Christian, believe it's non material. And I, uh, and I'm not saying that's the only view, obviously there are competing views out there, but that's, um, yeah, I, I think that that doesn't necessarily answer those questions. It just leads to additional questions. Gotcha.
0: Great conversation. Thank you so much, Josh. Saving elephants podcast twice a month. We get a new episode twice a month. Fantastic. So aside from typing saving elephants and wherever you get your podcast, where else should we be looking for your stuff anywhere in particular?
1: Yeah. If you Google me, I'm trying to compete with people saving actual elephants. So you're going to have to go to saving or just type in saving elephants. I think Josh, you could probably find me, but podcast search engines. Yeah. Saving elephants. You'll find me.
0: I think you've made a great case for people to go ahead and check you out. Totally respectful, totally informed. This is exactly the kind of person I was looking to interview and Podmatch did it. So I got to give them a shout out. Thank you, Josh, (laughs) for your time so much. Thank you, Brian. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Come